The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When it all gets, gets really hard and really difficult, like at night, they close up. And, but a person who finds God, a person for whom uh, heaven is his destination, is the one who in the nighttime of his life opens up and says, oh God, I open myself to you, just like that flower in Israel. And so Moses here, he, he, he's speaking for us, and, and we're like a little children, and, 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 and that's what happened to us as believers. Our soul was in a, was, was in a sort of a death sleep, and then all of a sudden our souls woke up, and the question came to us, and that's when really when new life began, when we came to that place. So Paul came to, in Acts 9, 5, in the nighttime of his life, when he was on the road to Damascus seeking to, to persecute and, and kill Christians and put them in prison and so forth. And on that nighttime of his life, it was so hard for him. And he was, as it says, he was, his life was like trying to kick against thorns. It's, it was hard for him to kick against the pricks. And when God stopped him on that road in this nighttime, in, in Acts of his life, Acts 9, 5, it says, and, he, and the first words that Paul said is he said, who art thou, Lord? See, what is your name? Who are you, God? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now, this, deny, this desire here, this desire that Paul had to know who God was, was awakened on this road to Damascus. And that's the time when Paul was converted. What we see was the awakening of the desire to know who God is, which led to the revelation by God that he was Jesus, and then the acceptance by Paul of that fact, that's when Paul was uh, born. That's when Saul, Paul was born, before he was Saul, he was Paul. And he progresses then in his new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that awakened quest which happened then to know God, it just kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger until it seemed that he was just gonna burst out, Philippians 3, 8 through 10, where he says, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and 
do count them but dung, that I may win or that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Now you'd think, and in the case of Paul, that he knew so much already, he did, he knew so much about God. This is the end of his life when he's writing these things. He's known so much about God. He's written theology. He's written more books in the Bible than anyone else. And so you would think that Paul would have reached that point in his life where he was ready to just sit back and just color me scholar. Sit back and hang the sign around me that says scholar and line up for the questions and I will sit here and pontificate, you know. And you might think that at the end of his life, Paul finally arrived and his quest to know God was over. You might think Paul might say, it's over, I know God. And now it's time for him to sit back and have others learn from him. Not Paul, not true, not Paul. That was not at all who Paul was in addressing whether or not Paul saw himself as finally arrived at knowing God, Paul said these words, yea, doubtless, doubtless. And with these words, Paul wants to say, there's no question about it, this is my life certainty, that I have caught the vision of the most excellent treasure that can be gained in my life. And this is what I am absolutely sure of, that when I put everything, and you can use this picture of Paul doing this, I'll just put everything on one side that anyone could possibly call gain on earth. And so what does he put over here on this side? He says, Paul says, I put the gain of all my possessions. I put the gain of all my education. I put the gain of all my scholarly achievements. I've mastered the languages of Hebrew and Greek and Latin. I put the gain of being an expert in knowledge and practice in the Hebrew religion to have reached the status of I could call me a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I put the gain of my status as a citizen of Rome I put the gain of my achievements, including all my writings of more books in the Bible than any other person. I put the gain of my position from God of being the apostle to the Gentiles. And I put all those gains in my life on this one side. And then on this other side, I just put one gain. And on this side is only one gain, which is the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then I stand back, as Paul says, you picture him doing this, and I see, I see what is on both sides. I see it clearly. I see it objectively. On the one side are what I have gained on earth. Here I see them now, my possessions, my education, my knowledge of languages, my being a Hebrew of the Hebrews, my being a Roman citizen, my achievements of writing scripture, my position as being the apostle of the Gentiles. And here on the other side, I just put just one thing, 
the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. There's no question about it, Paul says. I walk over to the side of my knowledge of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I say, and I, and I take out the ribbon, and I put that ribbon on it that says, excellent! That's the word that Paul uses here to describe the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Excellent, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And then as I walk over to this other side, here's all my possessions, achievements, positions, and I look at all those gains, et cetera, and I have just one word to describe it all compared to what's on this side. And he says, and I put on this the title of loss, loss. That's the word that Paul used to describe all that is apart and separate from the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Loss, he says, loss. I count all things but loss. Oh, loss, what loss, Paul? Loss, possessions, loss, achievements, loss, positions, loss. All that the world calls gain. When put up next to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, I call all this loss. Paul, your life, possessions, your achievements, your positions, all loss, L-O-S-S, loss, just loss. In fact, that word that Paul uses here is very interesting because the Greek word that Paul uses here, it's mia, as the meaning of lost caused by a violent damage. It's the same word translated as damage that Paul used when he was as a prisoner on a ship and Paul was warning the sailors that the ship was going to be destroyed by the waves. And Paul said in Acts 27.10, and he said unto them, Sir, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. Zumea, same word, damage. Not only of the lading in the ship, but also of our lives. So when Paul used that particular word, Zumea, loss, translated as damage in this other place in Acts 27, he meant that the waves, and picture again now Acts 27, he meant the waves were going to damage the ship. The waves were going to destroy the ship. The waves were going to destroy the what was in the ship. The ra- waves were going to threaten and damage the lives. And he used that Greek word, zemea. It's a warning that he was giving there in Acts 27. That's the same Greek word that Paul has used here and translated as loss when Paul describes, as we said in Philippians 3.8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, Paul was saying that if he put value in all of these so-called, what the world called gains, if he put value on his life possessions and his achievements and his positions, and if he, if he gave them the ribbon of excellent, then those possessions, achievements, positions would be like the waves beating against the ship. They have the potential to damage his estimation of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Isn't that the truth with us also? Isn't that true of us also? When we first started our Christian life, we were like Paul on the way to Damascus, We knew God was calling us. We responded with that all-important question, who art thou, Lord? Who are you, God? And like Paul, that became the grand quest of our lives, to know God. And all we wanted to do was to know more about God and more about Jesus. 
We, we could not get enough of God. We could not get enough of the Bible. We could not get enough of Jesus. And then as time went on, we felt a little like the honeymoon was over and all things began to lure again, began to attract again, began to draw again. And there was that competition that's described in Mark 4.19 where it says, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And we felt those hands around the throat choking us, cutting off our air, cutting off our single focus of devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Cares of this world, I just have to get this done first. Hang on, Lord, I'll be right back. Not yet, Lord, I'll be right back. I have to just take care of this first. And then after that, I gotta take care of that. And after then there's this, the cares, the cares of this world. That's what's meant, the cares of this world. Then the other hand of choking, is the choke hand of deceitfulness of riches. Uh, if only I could have, oh, that would be so good. I just saw that man who won the lottery. Oh, I wish I was him. Oh, what I would buy if I had those millions that he just got. That would make me happy. That would make me content. That would satisfy me in life. Oh, I wish I had it. Deceitfulness of riches, deceitfulness of riches. Lust of other things. Oh, I wish I had. Oh, if I could only. Lust. Lust of other things. Those would be gain to me. But as I look at them and as I let them persuade me, they're like the waves beating against the bark of my soul. And they're causing tremendous violent damage to my knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 22, 21 puts it this way. I spake unto thee in thy prosperity, but thou saidest, I will not hear. This hath been thy manner from thy youth, that thou obeyest not my voice. Why did they not obey his voice? Speaking of the Jewish people here. Why did the Jewish people not obey the voice of God? Why did they say, I won't hear? Prosperity. It says, I spake unto thee in thy prosperity, and thou saidest, I will not hear. In other words, they were on easy street, and a man who's on easy street doesn't need God. This has been thy manner from thy youth, that thou obeyest not my voice. In fact, there came a time when Paul was placed in the position of having to choose. Paul had to choose. All right, Paul, your family, the choice is on the line, Paul and like my family did to me. Choose. Your position, Paul, your position as a member of this family, as a member of this Jewish family, is Jesus Christ so important to you, Paul? Is he so important to you, Paul? Paul, that you're willing to suffer the loss of your family, your family, Paul. Mishpacha, Paul. You give it all up? For what, Paul? For this Christ Jesus, your Lord, his synagogue, his rabbi put the choice to Paul, put it right on the line. Your position, Paul, 
Paul as a rabbi, as one of the rabbis, the learned men in this synagogue. Paul, is he so important to you? Paul, that you're willing to suffer the loss of your synagogue, of your position as a rabbi? Are you willing to be excommunicated from your synagogue that you've given your life to achieve this position? All for what? For what, Paul? For Christ, for this Christ Jesus, your Lord? Is it worth it, Paul? His friends, his countrymen put the choice to Paul. Paul, your position, Paul, as a Jew in the community of Jewish people in this Jewish community, a member in good standing in this Jewish community. Is he so important to you, Paul, that you're willing to suffer the loss of your Jewish community with all its business connections, which brings you possessions? For what, Paul? For this Christ Jesus of yours, your Lord? And to all these things, Paul responds with the resounding yes, 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 a thousand times yes. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things that you have listed but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. See what Paul was saying? Yes, as I look at you, my family, my mish, my mishpacha, I see loss. Yes, as I look at you, my synagogue and rabbi, I see loss. Yes, as I look at you, my Jewish community, my fellow Jews, I see loss. I have suffered the loss of all these things. Was it worth it, Paul? Was it really worth it, Paul? Was the loss really worth what you gained? And Paul says, yes. It was so much worth it, and I would do it again a thousand times. I would do it again because I found something more excellent than family. I found something more excellent than synagogue. I found something more excellent than Jewish community. I found the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, and all these other things, family and synagogue and community, like dung compared to gaining Christ. As Paul said in verse 10, it was so wonderful to know him, the opportunity to know him. Those words Paul could say, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, those words are like music to my ears as he says it again, that I may know him, music to my ears. Paul was saying, I wanna know everything about him. I want to know the same power that he experienced when he was resurrected from the dead. I wanna know the same suffering, and I want to suffer like he suffered. Just let me suffer like he suffered. The fellowship of his sufferings. I wanna know how he died and I wanna die like he died, being made conformable unto his death. And Paul was saying, I can't get enough of him. I just can't get enough of Christ Jesus my Lord that I may know him, the passion of his heart, the desire of his life. And this burning desire to know God, it was not just Paul's passion. We see in the case here of Jacob, it was his passion to know God, and as we'll see in our, our next time when we're together as we look at this. So when we step back, what we have seen so far today 
is we have seen this question that Paul was asking, what is your name, was not just to anticipate the obstacle that he was going to face with the Jewish people, but it was actually Paul stepping out as a representative of believers and saying, please tell me, what is your name? You are such an unusual, wonderful person. I would love to know your name. And so that was really also behind Paul's question there. And so he asked that question, how wonderful it is that we have such a great God who is willing to reveal himself to us. Never forget Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report? That's the first question. And the second is, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? We see in that phrase of Isaiah 53, 1, man and God. Man, looking at man, and the report of the gospel. What's the report? The Lord, that God became a man, named the Lord Jesus Christ, that this man who was God died for our sins. He was fully man, he was fully God, but he died for our sins as a man. He suffered on Calvary's tree. He poured out his life unto death. He poured out his soul unto death. He shed his precious blood. Why? Because he was doing a great work there, a work of atonement, a work that we so desperately needed to be done and that we could not do because we were the sinners, we are the sinners. We are the ones in need. We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps or do anything to save ourselves because all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But he could because he was the righteous servant as it says in Isaiah 53. He was the one in whom there was no deceit in his mouth and he had done no violence. He was the perfect one. He was the Adam before the sin, before the fall, perfect in every way. And he came with all of his perfection, with all of his sinlessness, with all of his righteousness, and he went to work so hard for our behalf. It was hard for him to be bruised for our transgressions. It was work for him to be bruised for our transgressions, and he did it. It was hard for him, it was hard work for him to be, uh, sorry, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, but he did it for us. Why? Our great high priest. And he died for us, and he died for us, and, and we, that's the report that God sends. And the focus then is on man. Who has believed our report? And man, all he does is he just turns to God, and he cries out to God, oh God, help me. He turns to God, he says, Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief, help me, I've taken one step, I can't take the rest of the other hundred. And the great shepherd comes and the next part of the verse comes in. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And God to that person opens his eyes and he sees that he is Jesus, he, that God's name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he sees that and he believes that, he's saved, he's saved that's wonderful, and that's our God. And we're starting to see this here in the life of Moses when he's getting into this subject of what is God's name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God-revealing God. You are a God who reveals yourself to the sinful man 
who seeks you with all of his heart. He has said, if you shall seek me with all of your heart, you shall find me. Why? Because you reveal yourself to the one who seeks you with all of your heart, all of his heart. Thank you, Lord, for being such a great God. Help us, Lord, to enter into the knowledge of you, to go deeper and deeper into knowing God through these studies in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619 599 1104. God bless you.